and welcome to Let's Talk Autism, the podcast brought to you by me, Michelle Davey, and my co-host... Christelle. Oh yeah, do you think I just get cheesier every week? I feel like uh, like my opening scene, I feel like, do you remember like Fun House? Fun mm. House, oh, <laughs> fun. I feel like I'm becoming Pat Sharp with this like really cheesy thingy. Yeah, you're, you're, like, you're like that mature cheese, aren't you? Mature, yeah. Stinks, Are you stinks. name dropping there, Mish? Are you name dropping some celebrities? Oh, what, what when I met Pat Sharp down in Romford Town? <laughs> <laughs> Good old Romford. Right. right. Sidetracking completely from the podcast. Right, Christelle. Yes. On the podcast this week, we are learning about the secret life of a Senko. What do you mean? I thought we were speaking to Faith. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, I've got it all wrong again, ain't I? So Faith was meant to be coming on from America. Uh, but unfortunately, Faith's uh, got a little bit of a situation going on with uh, a little bit of unwellness. So she promises that she's going to come back and speak to us at a later <sighs> date. Good, good, good. Don't panic, Chris. Faith's still so, coming on. So we've got Senko Kelly. Senko Kelly's coming on from a secret location deep in darkest UK. And we <laughs> are going to be learning all about her role, actually. What do you know? I'm going to ask you first, Chris. Like, what, what, what does... Senko stand for special educational needs. I don't know what the co is for. Coordinator, cooperative. That's the sound company? effects. Company just ruined <laughs> it. Why don't you just start? So why don't you just settle with coordinator? Special educational needs coordinator. That's so clever. Yes. Yeah, so we've got Kelly, the Senko, coming on today. We're going to be talking about that. Have you had much dealings with your Senko? What's your What's your vibe with your Senko, Chris? Our Senko is really good, actually. She seems to really work hard, and she's trying to get. Um, our son, all the help that he needs. The HCP go through yet? Not yet. It should be. We should be getting a draft really soon. And she's really been on their back. And what I like is that she's always communicating with us. Because you know, there's nothing I hate more than when you're waiting for something and you don't know what's happening. I think it's the worst kind of feeling. But she's always touching base with us and letting us know. I sent an email today, and you know, this has been done, and I'm applying for this, and you know, it, that really puts all um, a lot of our anxieties at bay. But um, you've got more experience with Senko, you're a professional. Oh, yeah, like when I was a teacher. Yeah, when, were, you, were you a teacher? <laughs> when oh. I was a teacher. In yeah, which no. world? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no. don't really know a hell of a lot more than you, Christelle, to be honest. Obviously, I've worked with special needs coordinators as a teacher, being instructed what to do. And also, you know, the ones that I've worked with have all, all been very good. And if I have go to them with a concern and say, look, concerned about a child in my class then it's really good to to pick it up with them. And also our Senko at our children's school is is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I couldn't have asked for better, especially through lockdown. And I know that's something I really want to speak to Kelly about is about, you know, during lockdown, what else did she have to do? Because our Senko had to obviously speak to us quite a lot and she was she was she was great at keeping us in in touch with us and sending out any extra help and all that sort of stuff, you know? Yeah, looking forward to this chat. Let's get her on, shall we? Let's go. Okay, and on Let's Talk Autism today, we have got a Senko with us. A real-life Senko. It's very exciting. <laughs> Hello, Kelly. Hello. Hi, Kelly. Hi. Now, Kelly, you have been following our podcast and you were eager to come on and because Senko sometimes can be have a little bit of a bad deal, can't they? 
They can, they can. They can be the barrier to uh, getting all the support that families really desperately need and want, but they are often stuck between a rock and a hard place, between, you know, finances on one side and the need of the child on the other. So, yeah, it's it's a difficult role in that sense. You're trying to balance... You are the messenger, really, yeah. Yeah. Kelly, you you are a Senko. Can you tell us a little bit about what your job involves and how you become a Senko? Yes, so I'm a qualified primary school teacher. That was my first job. And then I was looking for a new role and this this came up, applied. So I just, you don't have to have any formal qualifications to start off with, but within two years, you have to do something called the NASENCO, the National Award in SENCO qualification. And that has to be done within two years if you've taken on on the role. And that's um, a master's level qualification. Okay, so how long have you been a SENCO now? Fourth year, fourth year, I think now. Yeah. And you enjoy it? Love it. I really, really, really enjoy it. Yeah. And what would you say? So what is the actual role of the Senko? Because, you know, you are the the first port of call, aren't you, really? If you feel your child has an additional educational need. Yes. So uh, so referrals can come to me from all places. It could come from parents. So parents come into me and say, look, I'm a little bit concerned about this or I've noticed this or, you know, what's going on here. Or it could come from teachers because quite often children present differently at home than in school so it's kind of making sure we're trying to what what is going on for this child so kind of my first is is I would go and observe I'd have some conversations I'd talk to parents I'd talk to the teachers we'd see what's going on we might need to then put in some interventions within the school to see how we can support that child and family at the time if that isn't being successful then we need to sort of take the next step so that might be looking at referrals to other professionals to get another set of eyes on what's going on for that child to make sure that basically it's about identifying I'm not there to diagnose a child I'm not there mm. to I'm, I'm kind of the conduit if you like for for helping parents to listen to gather that evidence to apply for HCPs to refer for agencies so I'm kind of that yeah that conduit really for for all of those sorts of things rather than I'm not there to say oh yes your child definitely has this or definitely this is the need I, it's me supporting families to identify those needs So I think just like Michelle said, you you Senkos have um, a hard job, I believe, because if you, as in the school, recognise that a child might have some needs, how do you break that to a parent? Yeah, it could be really hard because it could be something that the parents haven't noticed. And quite often that is the case that, you know, it's not until they're in an education setting that sometimes those needs do come to light. So it all depends. Some parents are always like, oh my goodness, I'm so glad you said that. I've noticed that. I've been talking to my partner, but they haven't said the same. So sometimes it's almost like, oh, brilliant. Somebody else is seeing what I'm seeing. Sometimes it, it's parents maybe are not ready to hear that yet. And that can be really challenging. I get that. I'm a parent too. And I can get that that's, that's your child. That's your precious being. And anything that, you know, the idea that they've got a special educational need and all of the negative connotations that come with that or that people you know that so I often would just approach a parent and say look we've just been noticing some things have you noticed any of these things either if at that point I, I would judge it if the parents like no no I haven't noticed that at all I would leave it probably for a little while and just let that seed settle and then come back and have more conversations every family is different it's never a straightforward conversation it's never a, an easy answer and 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 there's lots of parents you know is it my parenting what have i done is it something and it's not any of those things but there is all of that guilt that can sometimes come with that okay so well, how do you stand kelly on labeling because when i was a teacher if you didn't realize i was a teacher before and what <laughs> what happened 
was quite a few people and i had this when i speak to other people as well i don't know if you've you've had this christelle and people go yeah yeah i know he's probably autistic but i'm not going to get my child labeled i don't want him labeled yeah how do you stand on that how do i well i think i understand it actually because i think sometimes people think if they've got a label people are going to treat them in a certain way or their expectations are going to be lower of them or they're you know they're just they're going to let them get away with stuff and or, you know, they're not, or they're going to be given a harder time, you know, depending on what the label is. I always just say, if, if, if a parent is really concerned about a label, I'm saying, it's not about the label. It's about us understanding their needs and how best to support them. And that's the key bit. It's not what the label is. It's the needs. What, what, what are the needs for this child and how can we as professionals and other professionals support them so that they can achieve the best they can? And if that ends up being a label at the end well that's okay but that, don't, that doesn't tell us the label doesn't tell us anything about a child but the label is just there it's okay break that down into what are the individual needs and we know that a child with you know on the autistic spectrum I mean there's a millions of variations of that so it's not about that doesn't tell us anything about a child we just need to look and find out what their needs are and tell us a little bit about being a senko what are the things that people don't realize you do Oh God, the paperwork. There's so <laughs> much paperwork. Applying for EHCPs is, is oh my goodness, that it's such... Is that a- the most stressful thing? Yeah. It's like, it's huge ev- evidence gathering. So I've sat on the panels as well. So in, in Hackney, where I work, I uh, invite Senkos and head teachers to sit on the panels. So I do that three times a year. It's really insightful to see, you know, wh- which EHCPs are going through and which ones are not and why. So that when I'm applying, I can make sure that I can get them right. And today, I've, 100% of my EHCPs have gone through. So I'm very proud of that. Wow, that's Ooh, good. Amazing. Yeah. Um, and it's about making sure that that evidence is watertight, that there's, they cannot pick a hole in it, that everything that they could possibly ask for is there, you know, and it's signposted really, really clearly. Is that kind of like a thing between Senkos? You're like, yeah, how many EHCPs have you had go through? <laughs> I know, because I've got a clean sheet here. <laughs> <laughs> it is a bit of a competition. Like, yeah, when you make out, how many have you got now? It's, you know, because it is, it's really important for these children. I think for me as a primary school, Senko, and I'm a one-form entry school, so it's a small school. We have children oh, yeah. that have needs, but are managing really well in a small one-form entry school. Going to secondary school, they are not going to manage as well. It's going to be far more challenging for them in a bigger setting with lots of adults that they don't know. So quite often, and I found with those, when you apply in, in primary schools quite often this, they'll get turned down because they say oh you know well it's primary school you you know that you're managing their needs and you're like yeah we are managing their needs but we're not preparing them for the next step and it's the next step and then that's quite often when things can go wrong for children when they move to secondary schools and if they haven't yeah. got that support in place on paper ready for that transition it can be really challenging for them and we're setting them up to fail if we don't get that in, in place for them and do you liaise with the secondary schools with your situation? Yes, That's yes. part of your job, isn't it? Yes. And it, and, um, so like this week, I've actually supporting quite a lot of parents, uh, year six parents that have got their EHCPs um, looking at applying 
for their secondary schools. I'll liaise with the Senkos at the secondary schools. I will call them up really, I call them up in sort of April and say, look, this is the child that's coming to you. I want you to come and see them in our setting. I want you to come and I want to come with them to visit your school. And I really push for extra visits because I think it's so, so important because yeah, I think it's such a big jump for any child going to secondary school and for a child that has any additional needs it's a really big big deal if you don't get it right it's it's it can be really devastating so you've Mm. got to get it right how do you deal with a situation where you have a student and um as a education body you can see that this child does not fit this setting and you feel as though the child would be better suited in a specialized environment how do you kind of relay such information to parents? It's really hard. Ultimately, parents can say where they want to send their child. It's not my choice. What I would, the way I would say is, look, this is, these are the needs for your child. We're doing all of this, but we're still not meeting them successfully. And actually, therefore, we're, not, we're failing them because we're not able to meet their needs. We need to find somewhere that will meet their needs. But it's, again, it's kind of evidencing that with, with the parent and saying, look, we are doing X, Y and Z. And mm. it, it, we're still having challenges. But right. ultimately, it's, it's, parent, it's, it's a parent, parental choice. Mm. You know? So um, if, if they said, you know, the school sort of advised to me that my son had to go to a special school, but I really didn't want him to, can I just stick my heels in and say like, no, nah, no. You could, you could. What not saying happen- I would, just would. not saying yeah. devil's advocate. No, but you could. What would happen is the school would say, oh, I can't make them meet their needs. They would go out to consultations to schools to say who can meet their needs. Uh, probably a, a specialist setting will say yes I can and then it would go to a panel who would ultimately make the final decision but you I mean you can and I think it's really important that parents do have a say where their child goes you know yes. it's your child mm, yeah. but if but you also have to work together and if I think there has to be quite a lot of trust built between the Senko and families actually if I said to you this is not working the trust is already there that you would say do you know what okay I trust what you're saying okay. it's about it's, it's relationships it's, it's a lot about relationships because these are people's children during lockdown how did your job change well the other I've got another hat which is safeguarding so a lot of my safeguarding I was yeah I was doing a lot of home visits I was yeah. delivering food packages where my school has quite a high level of deprivation so I was doing a lot I delivered over 400 food packages over oh, wow. over lockdown so it was a lot of home visits um, we had quite a good uptake of children coming into school our vulnerable children and our EHCP children but we had quite a good good number of children coming in but it was um yeah I was going door to door really it was a lot of my um role and much more safeguarding than probably education really um yeah i think that took over i think um, this thing isn't it there were so many people i mean somebody uh, somebody commented on my something i put on instagram saying that i was evil and it was child abuse that i wasn't sending my children in and everyone had an opinion about what you should do with your children and keep your children off you just you know you just look after them at home but when you know when old boris did say that my from a teacher in an east london school at the time i would have been absolutely terrified do you know what i mean when when he said you know children be off school my my immediate thought was for those children that are so vulnerable and yeah. those children I knew that even in the Easter holidays or in the half terms, it used to make me feel sick to have to send them home knowing that other stuff was going on at home that, yeah. do you know what I mean? That, that maybe perhaps those children were going home and they weren't going to be safe. Yeah. 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 
I kept in, so I, I, with regards to my children with the HCPs or those that were kind of on the way to getting an HCP, I was, I, we, we were all given, we kept referring them to as our burner phones. We kept we got given our own little mobile. <laughs> um, and we would, I was checking in with them twice a week, just well, seeing yeah. what things were and sending little voice notes and things to the children, just keeping in contact for those that weren't able to come in. But it was much more kind of well-being checks um yeah. was really my role over that period i would say with those that were on the way to an ehcp because christelle's son got the diet you got the diagnosis didn't you chris during lockdown yeah. was yeah. you able to in hackney did you do anything like that was there any sort of well services stopped really it was really challenging getting services were prioritizing you know certain cases but I did get, I got one EHCP through over lockdown. Um, that was for a really vulnerable child with quite very significant needs, but also as on a child protection plan. So that was, I got that through, but it was a lot of, and, and I don't know what you found, but it, it's all done by Zoom. And this, uh, you can't yeah. do diagnosis really hard. by Zoom. It's really, you yeah. need to see these children in clinics. and always, It's really always hard by Zoom. Yeah, so what job, do as a senko do you not do that everybody thinks you do do if that makes sense yeah diagnose yeah (laughs) diagnose children and have the answers i don't have the answers to everything you know i think often classroom teachers say oh you know i'll tell you what really frustrates me is the whole classroom teachers say oh this is one of yours no 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 no. this is not my child i've heard that before yeah this is you're, they're in your class this is everybody's just everyone's responsible you know I'm here to help special needs is everybody's responsibility and I've, I've worked really hard at my school to, for for class teachers to kind of it's you know it's their responsibility to to provide for their children in their class regardless of whatever they need or not need is you know that's their job and it's not one of my children and that's not how it works you know no so I think that's really important to that actually class teachers are really aware of their responsibility in the whole process and it's Mm -hmm. not me fixing I can't fix things or you know I can make suggestions and I can signpost and we can look at courses and training and I can't diagnose and I'm not late, you know, and I, I get very frustrated when they say, well, he's definitely autistic. Well, how, how do we know? We don't know that. I'm not, I can't diagnose that. You can't diagnose that. This is, you know, we might suspect there's some communication issues there. We need to go through the, the right routes before we start banding around names. And it's not, that's not my job. And it's not anybody's job, really. It's the, the, the right professional's job, if you like. If you uh, could give any advice to anybody really struggling with lockdown and the possibility of lockdown two coming um incoming so what would be your advice if some somebody you know they're struggling or the ehcp is not quite going through what can they do what what can us parents do talk to your senko talk to them don't don't grab them whenever you can i mean you know i i I work part-time so it's like my time is really precious but it's really important that they're you keep in contact, you keep up to date, you share information. It's really, really, and you need to be working together. And the only way that's going to happen is if you keep communicating. What? Get your, get your Senko's email. That's the best way. Mm. Yeah. 
And what if the Senko is rubbish? <laughs> no offense, but you know, no, no there, there, are. there are there are going to be some. Yeah, not everyone is great at their job. What if their parents a can rubbish go straight? Senko. Yeah, you can go straight <laughs> to the local authorities yourself. You can make the referrals yourself. So that's who you where you go above. You go to yeah, the you authority. go to because you can apply for your own EHCP. You can do that as a parent. And what the local authority do will um, ask the school to provide a report. But yeah, you can you can do that yourself. So you can bypass your Senko. The Senko is supposed to be there to make it easier and, and kind of help and be, you know, the, the person that's organising the EP, the speech and language service, the occupational therapist, the re-engagement unit, the counselling session, whatever it is that, that's going on in the school, the different professionals that are in school that you have to timetable, which takes up a lot of time trying to work out who's in and who's out. But you, you can do that yourselves. But... We're winging it. We're thinking, yes, most Senkos, 99.9% Senkos are on our team here. <laughs> Ultimately, it's in the Senkos' best interest to support the family and getting an EHCPs because EHCPs bring in money for the school, for the child to support yeah. them properly. So yes. surely that's, it's win-win really in the Senkos' best, best interest. best interest to support a family that, you know, wanting to and needing to go down that road. Kelly, we had an EHCP officer on and you sent me a message after that. And um, you said also one thing that you would want to said about the EHCP as well is that an EHCP doesn't entitle your child just one-to-one. That might not be the, you know, your EHCP yeah. is not your ticket to a one-to-one support. And that, yeah. You and mean at, by that? Right. So I think there's a real, the old school statements, everyone you say, you say, and in the old school statements say your child gets 26 hours support and basically along would come a TA and sit with your child all day, every day. EHCPs now just come with funding. So it's just an amount of money. And parents often think that, and it's down to the school in conjunction with parents, how that money is kind of allocated. It has to be obviously allocated to that child, but it's, it's you know, you could maybe if you've got two children with quite low level needs with a low level of uh, funding you might put that funding together and then that would buy in your speech extra speech and language and they would use that together as a group for example it doesn't it doesn't mean one-to-one and to be honest all the research all research says that having a one-to-one does not improve outcomes for children with special educational needs if anything that your child deserves a qualified teacher yeah and when they've got a, a, a TA and there are some amazing TAs oh my goodness there's some incredible TAs but also there's maybe some that are not as great and whilst it's great to have that body in the classroom if you have an adult that's just sat there with you all the time your child will just be completely dependent on that adult and when that adult is not there or a different adult it, it can be a real challenge so what you what you want to be spending that money on and using that ehcp for is developing the strategies and the skills for that child to be able to access as much of their learning and as much of their environment as they can independently and that could be that the ta starts them off but goes away again and comes back at the end to check in with them or comes back and forth every five minutes, whatever it is, whatever that level of needed, but just having a one-to-one, which is often the kind of what everybody thinks they want, isn't, doesn't solve the problem. If anything, it creates a different problem. Yeah. And I think it's a, it's, you know, having, I would much prefer my child had acts, had, I think there's some research that says, you know, a child with an HCP spends, uh, this is, I'm, 
misquoting those, I can't remember the figures, but it's, you know, spends eight out of their 10 sessions with a TA and only two with a qualified teacher. A child without an EHCP spends eight of their sessions with a qualified teacher and only two without. Who deserves to have a qualified teacher? Who needs the best that we can give them? And that would be the children that need that extra support. So why are they not getting a qualified teacher to support them? Yeah. And I think, and often teachers will deploy, just give, let the TA get on with it. Let the TA differentiate, let the TA work out the resources that child is not TA, it's the teacher's job. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah, it's making sure that your child is having access to the best provision of, you know, quality first teaching. And it's not just just sat in a corner at a table with a TA because they've got a one-to-one. It's not. Thank you, Kelly. That, that's really interesting. I went absolutely loony, absolutely loony at the school when they said uh, they was going to give my son four different TAs over this course of the week. I was like, four? He should, he should have one. One that's with him all the time. <laughs> was slightly irate, slightly irate. But do you know what? He's not. As you say, he's not just got somebody just sat with him the whole time. He and having has... different people is really, really yeah. useful. Exactly. So it... useful. You should rotate your TAs because otherwise, yeah. yeah. And every TA brings something a bit different as well. Yeah. And he loves it. He's like, oh, who have I got today? I've got so-and-so today and checks his little timetable and things like that, <laughs> you know, and he knows what person he has and what days. And also he can cope with that better if if it isn't if there is a change yeah because he's used to working with so many different people and i know it's coming up to one of his his favorite sort of main one is going and and i know he'll cope with that quite well now because he's he's got the rotation the the, the other tas are still there Mm. yeah imagine if you've had a ta for a whole year that's the only person you've had they've done everything with you and then they leave i mean Mm. you know as if life isn't hard enough it's not helpful for that child you know yeah, I had a really particularly challenging class and I had, at the time it was statements, and I had eight children in that class of statements and they, <laughs> they, were, they were a lovely class. I'd never, ever forget them, but they sent me up from year four to year five with the class. Oh yeah, we don't think they need, the head teacher said they don't think, you know, we don't want to change things too much. So I had two years with the same class and in time they got to year six, that class that poor teacher that got them in year six because that class (laughs) we're like who's this teacher that's that's not miss barry (laughs) we want miss barry back (laughs) that's really hard isn't it it's like yes it's like a bereavement Mm. i wasn't i wasn't a parent at that point either and i was still ready to (laughs) 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 i was still drinking heavily at that point but Kelly it's been so informative and it's been such a great chat with you today and hopefully you'll come back again another yeah, day and, definitely you know help us out be part of the panel yeah thank no, you really, Kelly really, yeah no really 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 helpful to you know I'm glad, hopefully I can help and yeah give me a shout thank you so much thanks Kelly yeah. bye bye That was Kelly, <laughs> our secret Senko, secret life of a Senko. What did you think of that episode of Let's Talk Autism? Crystal. Fabulous as usual. But, um, yeah, yeah, Kelly had some very valid points um, to make there. And I, I was taking note, taking loads of notes. Um, very interesting to hear what she had to say as well about the one-to-one. 
support. I think a lot of yes. it made sense. It didn't make sense, but like for my son, he definitely needs one-to-one because he puts things in his mouth and, you know, just for the danger aspect of it, he needs someone there. But I think the benefit of having different TAs, like she said, your, t- your child won't be so attached to one of them. And if one of them leaves, it won't be, you know, such a negative impact if they do leave. Does that make sense? Yeah. So basically what you're saying is you disregarded everything that Kelly said and you're still going to just, <laughs> you're still going to bang on that your kid needs one-to-one support like every other parent. <laughs> no, he does, he does need one-to-one support, but she did make some very valid points. <laughs> yeah, no, I think so too. And really interesting to know as well. And I can imagine that. I can imagine because as a parent, and I know that Kelly herself is a parent with a child that's going through diagnosis and hopefully one day she can come back and speak to us about that. But I think with as parents you want to know the answers like when I got my diagnosis all I wanted to know was was all the answers like when he's 16 what's this gonna look like when he's 10 what's this gonna look like what's he gonna <laughs> yeah. do when he's 18 will he get married will he have a job will he be living with me forever like mm. tell me everything now you should know everything and do you know what yeah. I mean you can imagine when they go to Senko and when you first initial put put a call you know it's a bit like me at the moment with with my daughter I really do think she's dyslexic and I think the Senko thinks that and I'm like just just like sort of like giving the side eye like so so do you think I know you can't tell me (laughs) but do you think she might be wink wink nudge nudge Hmm. and she's like we'll have to wait and you know see and like, ah oh, just give me a sign just give me a sign well like she said they don't diagnose exactly but that's what i mean i think it's really mm. hard isn't it because as parents you do want that answer and yeah i'm gonna have a little rant chris oh no i'm, I'm gonna go for it i'm gonna rant. go on then go on then right so <laughs> i see something on somebody's instagram <laughs> right not mine. Right, so Instagram. So I uh, saw something on somebody's Instagram. And they were kind of moaning about other people getting their kids labelled. I didn't respond. So I thought, just come here and, and talk about them behind their back. So <laughs> what, I, <laughs> what I just, I found it hard. Because I know this a few circumstances like this, where people don't get their children diagnosed because they don't want their child labelled. Which you're the parent, you've got every right to do that. But what I find difficult to understand is then as that child goes on and perhaps help that they really would have needed they're not Mm. able to access because they haven't got an official label or diagnosis Mm. as such Mm. that's what I find difficult and everybody's got the right to do whatever they want for their child but the reason I I suppose I just want to state this the reason that I got my child diagnosed was because I wanted him to be able to have access to all the help he could get and I yeah. felt that my way to do that as a parent was to make sure I had all the knowledge and had all the backing of those reports yeah um, I agree with you um, I think everyone's entitled to their own opinion but obviously nobody wants their child labeled who would want that nobody but I was happy to receive that diagnosis of autism just because I felt like, okay, now the avenue is open for him to get all the help that he can get to flourish, you yeah. know? So I, I, I know what you mean. Okay, so next week we have got Understanding Ella. We've got Nikki coming on and she's going to be talking to us about her daughter who has a brain malformation that causes epilepsy 
and she also has language disorders development delay and sensory issues so multiple complex needs and um mm. i know nikki's really looking forward to coming on and, and telling us a little bit more about her life with ella that's it christelle that's another week over go and get some sleep you look knackered thanks Mish. you're you're just so kind <laughs> <laughs> but yeah everyone have a good week Yep, speak to you next week. Bye! Bye.